Anyone need a copy of the outline? Does everyone have one that needs one? We need a couple. Felix, you want to help me out? You're right there. You got one? You were standing? You were walking right down the middle aisle, though. I, I don't know how I missed you. Purple hair and all. I should have been able, I should have, should have, should have noticed you're right there. So if anyone doesn't have a copy, we'll get you one. And so I didn't want you to have to walk back down the aisle and all of that. So not really. So all right. So if you don't want an outline, then you don't have to have one. We're starting the book of Romans tonight. And I can't tell you how long it's going to take. If you remember, it took us six to eight months. To, thanks, for us for talking right now. No, I'm just kidding. It took us six or eight months to go through the book of Ephesians, maybe even a little bit longer. And uh, the book of Romans is three times as long, so it's going to take a while. And so I mentioned last two weeks ago on Wednesday night when we studied the book of Romans for a Wednesday night, the book of Romans is a great book. It's going to be a harder one. It's going to be the most challenging book I've decided to go verse by verse through for me. In my study of it all, it's, it's a great book. And when we embark on this book, some would call it the greatest book of the New Testament. And that's a big statement because you have the Gospels that talk all about Jesus and his life. But doctrinally speaking for the church, I don't think there is a greater book than the book of Romans. And the book of Romans has changed so many people's lives. If we're being honest, the book of Romans played a part in your salvation tonight. All of us. The Romans wrote of salvation. There's none righteous, no, not one. God commended his love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those verses that we use for salvation, they come from Romans. Romans is an important book, and it's a special book. And it's by far the greatest theological work of the Apostle Paul. Some have called it the Constitution of Christianity. I think that's a great title for it. Some call it the Christian Manifesto or the Cathedral of the Christian Faith. And without a doubt, the book of Romans has been responsible for many coming to the Lord for years. You know, it was in, it was in this book, in the book of Romans, in September of 386 A.D., it touched the heart of, the, of a North African native who was a professor in the city of Milan, Italy. As Augustine sat weeping, and Augustine, I don't know that I'd agree with all of his doctrine, probably not a lot of his doctrine, but he sat weeping in a garden and a friend of a friend while contemplating the wickedness of his life. And he heard a child singing, tole lege, tole lege. And if I said that wrong, in Latin it means take up and read, take up and read. And beside Augustine there was a scroll of the book of Romans, and he picked it up. And the first verses that caught his eyes were Romans 13, verse 13 and 14. And that brought about his conversion, those verses. A thousand years later, a Roman Catholic monk of the Augustinian order named Martin Luther was a professor at the University of Wittenberg in Germany and was teaching his students the book of Romans. And as he studied the text, his heart was arrested by the theme of justification by faith, verse number 17 of chapter number 1. And the Holy Spirit used the book of Romans in that verse here in chapter number 1 to bring Luther to Christ and really start the Reformation in 1531, I believe it was. A few hundred years later, an ordained minister in the Church of England named John Wesley was preparing to take the gospel to America as a missionary. However, even though Wesley was a preacher and was going to cross the Atlantic as a missionary, he was confused about the gospel and attend a Bible study in London. While there, 
he heard some of Luther's comments on Romans and being read, and this brought about his conversion to Christ. He got saved because of it. And we think then John and brought it to his brother Charles, and we think the great revivals that John and Charles Wesley started, the book of Romans is what started it all for them. And uh, I believe And Can It Be was written by Charles, right? Is it Charles? Charles Wesley. We sing that in our songbook there. And over the next several months, as the Lord leads us, and maybe at Christmas, right around Christmas, I'll take a week or two break because sometimes we're not all here and everything else. But as we go through the book, I intend to go verse by verse through it. So like tonight, there's not going to be a lot of deep theological stuff we get to, but we're going to dive in the first seven verses and see several things just at the beginning as Paul lays the foundation And really, he gives his credentials and the foundation on which he gives the epistle, which we'll look at tonight. And I will tell you, by the time we get done with studying the book of Romans, you're not going to know everything there is to know in the book of Romans because we could never exhaust it enough. It's that way with every book of the Bible. Wait till we get to heaven. We get to sit down and teacher Jesus, Master Jesus sits down, says, this is what this meant. He'll tell us all about it. We do our best, but it won't be that far. But I want you to understand that this is a great book, and I hope that you'll take it serious. And, you know, you go to college, you go to different places, you study different things. I would encourage you, as we go through the book of Romans, do your best to be here, and to, it would be a great book for many Christians to get a hold of. It will help you in your doctrine. It will help you in a lot of areas. The book of Romans was written by Paul the Apostle between 56 and 58 A.D. I already mentioned that to you. And then he was, he was in the city of Corinth while he was on his third missionary journey. And during, and Paul, as he was traveling, as he was on this journey, the Bible tells in the book of Galatians that after Paul got saved, he spent three years in Arabia, in Galatians 1, verse 17 and 18. And during that time, he studied a lot of the Old Testament writings and how they applied to Jesus. You've got to understand, before Paul got saved, he was Saul, and he persecuted the church. He knew a lot of the Old Testament writings and things. He did. He was very proficient in all those things, but he hated Jesus. He despised Jesus. He wanted to wipe out anything to do with Jesus. So that day on Damascus Road when he met Jesus, his life changed. So he had to go back and look at the Old Testament and say, now in light of what's happened in my life, how does Jesus play into all these Old Testament prophecies? And you're going to see over and over again in the book of Romans and throughout Paul's epistles, There's so much Old Testament knowledge that he uses, and he applies it to Jesus Christ, and it will help us as we move through here. And so as we get into the chapter here, we're going to read the first seven verses, have a word of prayer, and dive in tonight. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us. I pray that you bless the time that we have. We need you. We thank you for the book of Romans, that we can study it and actually learn from it. And thank you for your word, and help us apply these verses. Help us get something tonight in just these verses as we look at the opening here tonight. We love you. We need you in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship 
for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at these first few verses, you know, if we were to start a letter today, we would not open it up with a big, long thing. We would say, dear so-and-so. It's probably how you would start your letter. This was Paul's introduction to the church at Rome. He gives them his credentials on how he could write to them, and then the foundation on what he's going to write was built upon. And that's what we see in these first few verses tonight. And so as we dive in tonight, we'll look at several different things. But number one, we see the facts about the messenger. The facts about the, about the messenger. We see in verse number one, Paul goes right into it. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. The first thing that we see, letter A, about the facts of it is we see his condition. His condition. Do you notice Paul doesn't start out by saying, I'm an apostle. I'm called of the Lord. What, where does he start? He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. What a way to begin his condition. He doesn't begin about boasting about where he's at, what he's done, but he begins by proclaiming himself as a servant. And may I just remind you, Paul's life was dedicated to the master. You see, Paul, was he an apostle? Yes, he was. Was Paul a great preacher? Yes, he was. Was Paul a missionary? Yes, he was. Was Paul called of God? We see that in a minute. Was Paul separated in the gospel? Yes, he was. But Paul, his condition, who is he? He's a servant of Jesus Christ. And may we never forget, sometimes we get caught in titles in Christianity. Well, I'm a pastor, or I'm a deacon, or I'm a teacher, or I'm this, or I'm that. No, we're all servants of Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. That's what we see. And what a lesson that is. Just as we get going here tonight, Paul starts out by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And in modern Christianity today, we need to learn this. We're to be servants of the Lord. Don't ever forget that. Don't get thinking you're too high to do too high and mighty to do different things. We serve him. And whatever it takes, we just do what needs to be done for the Lord. If that means fixing sprinklers and getting yourself all wet. I did that this last week. It means fixing sprinklers. No, I'm a pastor. I shouldn't do a, have to work on sprinklers. I'm a servant of the Lord. If it helps the Lord and his work, I can work on sprinklers. If a toilet needs cleaned, and no one else is doing it, I'm a servant of the Lord. Whatever I can do to advance the Lord's work. Sometimes we get so caught up in titles and positions and all these things, and at the end of the day, just as Paul mentions it here, we are servants of the Lord. We have so many who feel that they're in control, and in Christianity we feel like we're in control of our lives. But as servants of the Lord, we have a master. And our master is not us, our master is the Lord. It's our job to follow the master. Let the master lead us and guide us. We need to remember that we're saved by Christ Jesus, and we became, I think a good word, a bondservant. We say, because of what he's done, I'm going to live for him. 
And I go deeper into that, but that's as far as I'll go with that. We see his condition. He's a servant, letter B. We see his calling. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Look what it says, called to be an apostle. Not only was Paul a slave to a new master, but he was also an apostle. And this word also means, or means an ambassador, and it literally means a sent one. An apostle is someone who was called specifically by Jesus Christ. Today, there are no more apostles. I know that people might call themselves apostles so-and-so or this or that, but an apostle had to be called by Christ. The last known apostle was Paul, because on Damascus Road, the Jesus called him to follow him and be one of his apostles. And he was, you think about this, he was a person sent out of another country as a representative of heaven. When you think about ambassadors, what happened is they go to different places and they represent someone. We all are ambassadors for the Lord, aren't we? And we all are representatives of the King of Kings. And our life should display that in all that we do and Paul was a, represent, a representative for the king of kings. And he operated under that divine authority. When Paul spoke, he was speaking for the Lord. When Paul acted, he was acting for the Lord. And may I just remind you as we live life today, and Paul, his calling here, he was called to be an apostle. You know, we're not apostles today, but we are ambassadors for the Lord today. The way you act matters. You represent the king of kings. Make sure that you represent him well. You know the big problem in this world today is not Christ. Why aren't people turning to Christ? You would think even through this crisis going on in our world today, more people would turn to the Lord. The problem is not the Lord. The problem is Christians. If Christians would be better representatives of him, people would want him. He's wonderful. But we've got to be a better representation. We see his condition. He was called. He was a servant. We see his calling. He was called to be an apostle. And then look at this. We see letter C. We see his commission. His commission. Paul's next statement tells us that he had been separated to unto the gospel. Separated unto the gospel of God. There are some blessed things that I want you to realize is separated unto the gospel. And as I was studying this out, there were some things that came to my mind that I'll give you in just a minute that really was a blessing to me to really think about. But we think about some of the words that are mentioned there. We think about this, we see separated. The word separated, set apart unto the gospel. There are some, and when we think about that, the idea of separate just means set apart. And what Paul is telling us is that his life has been set apart for the glory of God and for the good news of the gospel is what he's telling us. This literally means that nothing else mattered to Paul but what mattered to Christ. And so often we hear people are so concerned with being, you need to be separate from the world. You need to be separate from the world. Separate yourself from the world. That's a wrong way of looking at it. Quit, and we got to be careful about that. We are not, so, this world's not our home. We're not to love this world, neither the things of this world. But instead of being so concerned about being separated from the world, we need to be more concerned about being separated unto the gospel and unto God. 
the very key way of wording it. You see, we hear people say, well, you got to stop doing this or this thing or that thing to be separated, but you got to understand something. What we got to understand, our job is not to separate from the world. Our job is to separate unto Christ. And to you, that might just be words, semantics, just a little bit. But there's, it's, I think it's key. I think a lot of times that we try to separate ourselves from this world when we're supposed to be separating ourselves unto Christ because we're too focused on this world. We need to be focused on Him. Well, I can't do that. No, because I live for Him, there are certain things I'm not going to do. It's all about what your focus is on. Our focus should be on Him, separate unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see this here. And we see, when we think about the gospel, Paul says they separate under the gospel of God. What is the gospel? A couple of things you'll notice about the gospel here, and I put this here, that um, he's supposed to carry, Paul's going to carry the good news to a world trapped in sin and a world that's lost. And so, let me give you just a few thoughts about the gospel, and then we'll move on to point number two. First thing is this, number one, it's the gospel of God. This message did not originate in the mind of man. We see that right here. He was separated under the gospel of God. It came, the gospel came from the very heart of God. The plan that would culminate of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again three days later and us putting our faith and trust in him was not something that man devised or came up with. That was God's plan to fix the need of salvation for us. Man could not, you think about this, Man, if some people say, well, man wrote the Bible, then man would want the credit for fixing man, right? You all know how we all are. If we do something, we want credit, right? But Christianity goes where God gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. If it was a man-made thing, it would be each of us getting our own glory. We could work our way to heaven, so when we got there, I could look at someone and say, hey, I'm here because of the things I did in that life. That would be man's way. And we hear people that believe it that way. But the gospel of God, this was devised by God because he gets all the glory, not us. We see it's the gospel of God. Number two, it's a gospel born in the heart of God. It's a gospel born in the heart of God. Why would God want to go to such great lengths to save the world and to get his message to the world? The answer is because God's love. The Bible tells us 1 John 4, verse number 8, um, he that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love, the Bible tells us. And he doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. 1 Peter, 2 Peter 3, verse number 9, the Bible tells us, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you take that verse in context, first Peter, second Peter chapter number three, it's about those who are scoffing that the Lord, when's the Lord going to come? Is he going to come anytime soon? And the Bible's telling us the Lord's going to come. But the reason he hasn't come yet is because he's not willing that any should perish. And if it was your loved one that he was waiting on to get saved, you wouldn't want him to come yet either. And he's going to come, but he's, will, he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance is a gospel born in the heart of God. His love is so great that he will stop at nothing to get the message out. And he'll even use people like you and me 
to get that message out. And then number three, it is the only gospel that will save the lost. There is nothing else that will save the lost. We see that verse, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called me an apostle, separate unto the gospel of God. God only knows of one plan that will save the lost. We think of Acts 16, verse number 3, him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews that were with him in those quarters. And that's not the right verse. That's the wrong verse. I don't know why I put that verse on there. Forget that verse. Look at um, Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. I don't know why I put that verse on there, because I know I put it on there. That wasn't the one that was supposed to be. It's supposed to be a different chapter. Just showing you I'm human, okay? Acts 4.12. I know this one's right. Neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You see, only the gospel will save you, the gospel of Christ. So we see, number one tonight, as we dive into the book of Romans, we see some facts about Paul. We see the fact, we see his condition. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. We see that he was called to be an apostle. He was separated for a task. And we see that he was separated unto the gospel. So important for us. Which leads us to number two. After we see his credentials, we see the foundation of Paul's message. Say, how could Paul pin these words with confidence and give them and send them to the church at Rome. You got to understand something about the church at Rome. Paul hadn't been there. Like when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that we studied on Wednesday night, Paul had been there. Paul started the church in Corinth. Paul hadn't been here. So who gave how does who how does Paul have the authority to write anything to us? Well, first he laid out his credentials, the fact that he was a servant of Jesus Christ, that Jesus called him to be an apostle and he was separated under the gospel, that's his credentials to be able to write this letter to them. Second thing that we see is we see the foundation of Paul's message. And we look at verse number 2 through verse number 5. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see that the apostle's message was centered on the person of Jesus Christ. We, let's read them. It says, which he had promised afore, by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. We see the foundation of Paul's message, letter A, we see that Jesus is the promised one. The gospel that involves the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus was not an afterthought. It was front and center. He'd been declared that he would be God's son and he would die for humanity in the Old Testament. The gospel was not a new thing, but it was something that was older than man himself. We think about um, Revelation 13, verse number 8. The Bible tells us, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So you got to understand something. God's plan for Christ to die on the cross, that plan was done 
The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before the world, before Adam and Eve was ever created, it was already in God's plan that Jesus Christ would die for our sins. Before that time. Jesus was the promised one. The Old Testament scriptures speak of the Lord. We think of uh, John chapter number 5, verse 39, and I'll take my Bible and turn there and give you that verse. John 5, verse 39, and Jesus was speaking, and he said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, when the book of John was written, they didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. And Jesus said, the Old Testament, it testifies of me. In the Old Testament scriptures, they speak of the Lord. The sacrifice of the Messiah is plainly spoken of in Isaiah chapter number 53, where he is despised and rejected. And all of these things, that chapter totally talks about the Lord. I don't know how Jews today and don't see it, and rabbis don't understand Isaiah 53 and see that as being Jesus Christ. They see that as being Israel. But you look at Isaiah 50 number 53 and you read that chapter and you read how all these things that happen, no one, Israel doesn't even apply to it. It's got to be Jesus Christ. And they just don't see it. But the Old Testament scriptures, they point to him. The sacrifice of the Messiah is plainly told in the Old Testament. You go back to Abraham, when he was going to offer his son Isaac on the altar, on Mount Moriah, which is where Calvary was. And what did Abraham tell his son? The Lord will provide a sacrifice. And so many years later, Jesus died on the cross, and the Old Testament plainly shows that to us. The Old Testament is filled. And we could go through so many examples of so many different types and examples of Christ throughout the Old Testament. We could look at Adam, and we think about the second Adam. We could think about the ark and how you had to be in the ark to be saved. The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. We think about the manna that fell from heaven, a symbol of Jesus Christ. We think about the tabernacle, a symbol of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus, it all pictures Christ. And all of those things, the whole Old Testament points to Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about here, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament points to the foundation of what I'm writing about. It comes from Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the promised one. Letter B, Jesus is the powerful one. Verse 3 and 4 tells us concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God, look at this, with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Not only is Jesus the promised one, but he's the powerful one. And these verses, they explain to us and tell us of the Gospels far more than just a recollection of Old Testament prophecies. The Gospel is about a person named Jesus Christ, and these verses say a lot about his power and his position. When we think about Jesus as the powerful one, it leads us to number one underneath that. We see his position. 
What's his position? We see in verse number four that he's the son of God. He's the son of God. Jesus Christ was no ordinary man. He was, in fact, the very son of God. I don't understand how the Lord made all work, but the Holy Spirit conceived in a virgin named Mary and brought forth the Son of God, a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. How crazy that is. Some of the best verses that explain to us Christ would be in Philippians. Paul wrote these, Philippians 2 verse 5 through verse number 8. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And when we think about Jesus, he's the son of God. He lived here on earth. And while Jesus walked on this earth, he was not just a divine man. You gotta think about this. He wasn't, he wasn't a, a, a human God Jesus is and was the Son of God at that time. He was 100% man and 100% God at the same exact time. When we look at these verses here, just a couple thoughts, and I'm going to go a little deeper than what I gave you in your notes, but just think about this. The Bible says, if you go back up, Joe, uh, Joe go back one, one thing. It says, who being in the form of God. Do you see that right there? The Bible says that Jesus was in the form of God. And this word refers to the very essence of his being. One could not be in the form of God and not be God. Why? Because God is a spirit. Jesus was in every essence God while he was here on earth. Don't deny that. But what did he do? He made himself of no reputation. He is God. But he made himself with no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men. Very interesting. You see how it says he took upon him the form of a servant? Go back to that other verse. Who being in the form of God. So you have Jesus making himself. Jesus was in the form of God. And he made himself in the form of a, next verse, servant. Same word in both. That's Jesus. He was both man and God at the same time. But I want you to understand something. You look back at verse number, go back to verse 6, go back. Who, you see that word being? That being is something that never changes. So although he is the form of God, he took upon himself the form of a servant. Which means, and I know it's a Sunday night, you're tired, the weekend's almost over, and I'm going a little deep here for you. But what you got to understand is this as we look at this thing. He in every way, but he remained God the entire time, is what I'm trying to say. You also see that, um, go back, or right there. No, you can go back. Right there is good. It says, and was made in the likeness of men. Do you see that phrase there? That word means he resembled men. 
While Jesus, you think about this, remained God inwardly and outwardly, he had every attribute that we have except for our sin nature because God and sin do not mix. Now, there are those out there who don't understand this very well, and they would say, could Jesus have sinned? No, he could not. He's God. It's impossible for God to sin. So you say, well, the devil tempted him. God cannot sin. Jesus would not sin. Don't ever get that out of your mind. You got to understand that. He'd put on the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. But the entire time that he did that, he was still God. And that never changed. And that's one of the things we got to remember. We see his position, the Son of God, letter B. Or number two, we see his person. We see his person. So what do you mean by his person? Well, we see he is Jesus. Jesus is his human name, a title for him. And it's interesting to note that demons always referred to Jesus Christ by this name alone. They called him Jesus. It's an interesting fact. You can read that and see. The word Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ, means anointed. The name is his official title. It portrays Christ as prophet, priest, and king. He's, an, he's the anointed one. And then we also see in these verses here that he's Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that third title mentioned by Paul is that of Lord, and that's why he's exalted, why he's to be worshipped, why he's to be honored, feared, obeyed, and served, because he's Lord. So we see in this passage here, we see that Jesus Christ the foundation of Paul's message is Jesus Christ. He is the promised one. He is the, perf- the powerful one. We see his position. We see his person, which leads to number three. We see his pedigree. His pedigree. The last portion of verse number three and four tells us about this man named Jesus. And these verses tell us certain things. Look at what it says at the end there which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. We see his pedigree, which leads us to um, just a couple thoughts underneath this, and we're almost done here. It just mirrors. It seemed like those kids play outside a long time. I don't, know if they're, I don't know if they're learning more or if they're actually just playing during this hour. We're, I'm going to have to check on that one because I, like, I feel like all I've heard is kids playing for the past 30 minutes. And me, God gave me one of those minds that it's hard for me to concentrate on one thing when I hear something else going on. So I can't do both at the same time. And so who knows? But at least it sounds like the kids are having fun. That's a good thing. But I'm kind of lost from where I am in my notes, which isn't a good thing. I'm kind of all over C. And so, so let's go to letter C. That not only is he the powerful one, but letter C, he is the performing one. We see that in verse number five. Look at what it says in verse number five. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. What have we received? Well, first off, we've received grace. We see number one, we've received grace. 
We think about Ephesians chapter number 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The difference between mercy and grace, mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve hell. That's what mercy is. Grace would be not only do we get mercy, but grace is we get all these added benefits. Like as a Christian, not only mercy says you don't have to go to hell, but grace says you get the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Mercy says you don't have to go to hell, but grace says you get to go to heaven and be with me. That's what grace is all about. It's God's grace, unmerited favor. And we see that Paul shares these things. We've received some things of the Lord. We've received grace, and then we've received gifts. And Paul says that he received apostleship, and he was gifted to work in the Lord's service. And each of us have been given gifts to use for the Lord and for his glory. And so we've seen the facts about the messenger, some things about Paul. We see the foundation of his message. And lastly, and number three tonight, we see the focus of his ministry. What was the focus of his ministry? So the focus of his ministry is, number one, our letter, we got three letters left. So look at verse number six. It says, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the focus of his ministry? Well, as we look at these last two verses, Paul turns to the people here. And when he turns to the people that he's writing to, he gives them three things, which I think would be great for us to remember tonight, and this is how we're going to close. Letter A, the first thing that we see here is we see that they were called to be saved. They were called to be saved. It says, among whom you're also called of Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds them that they share with him the greatest honor ever bestowed upon any person, that we can be saved and called to be saved. When you think about that one, to think about our natural state as dead men, a dead man can't do anything. But the Holy Spirit quickens us, and he makes it so we can hear the call of God for salvation. It's very powerful when you stop to think about it. They were called to be saved. As it says in the book of uh, Ephesians, um, they were called before the foundation of the world. You were called before that. God knew before you were ever born, before he ever created man, he knew who would trust him and who wouldn't. And he called you. What a blessing that is. They're called to be saved, letter B. They're called to be sons. Beloved of God. We see that phrase there in verse number 7. And you note that Paul says that they're beloved of God. Now, we know the fact that God loves all men, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves all of us. We understand that. But I think as we look at this and as we think about it, my job in this life is to love people, right? To love my neighbor as myself. But there are those that I love a little bit more than I love others. Let's be honest, okay? I love all of you in this room, but I love her a little bit more. 
a lot more. I love all those kids making, I love your kids, I do, each and every one of them. But there are four kids that are out there that are just a little bit more special to me. Don't get me wrong, I love your kids, and I will do anything and help your kids all the time, but there are four kids that call me dad. I think that's what Paul's talking about right here. You kind of see the difference? God loves everyone, but when you're in his family, there's something a little bit more special about that. Then we see letter C, and lastly, they're called to be saints. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And these Roman Christians were called to be saints. That is, they were called to live lives that were separated for the Lord. They were to be different. And in Rome, Rome was quite a city. But those who were called saints were to live their lives differently than those pagans who lived in Rome. The Bible tells us that in Matthew 5, 16, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after God, for they shall be filled. And when you think about this, and that's not, is that the right verse? 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may, so in the notes here, someone put the wrong verse on here. So this isn't me this time. People are trying to mess me up. I tell you. Because 5.16 is, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Mona, if you're watching this tonight, you put the wrong verse. And you tried to mess me up tonight. Shame on you for that. So I'm reading it, I'm like, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's an excellent verse. But that's not the verse I wanted to read. Because let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that should be all of our goal. We should all be a light. Hey, in Chino, your light should shine so that people can glorify God based on the life that you and I live. They were called to be saints, set apart. And you got to understand something. You have been set apart by God. And so Paul starts out here giving his credentials. He then goes into the foundation of his letter, and then he talks to those who he's going to write the letter to, the saved people children of God, and those that are called to be saints. And next week, we'll start getting into how Paul longs to go see them, and then we start getting into doctrine. And it gets, it gets going quickly. You'll see in the next couple of weeks, when we get to verse number um, 18 through the end of the chapter, you're going to look at how the way our world's going today, it fits in so well. Men with men, women with women, all of that. It all ties in with what the Bible talks about at the end of chapter number one here. So we'll see that as we go through and learn a lot of things. So good start tonight. We're going to have to figure out why those kids were outside so long tonight and uh, have to make sure that doesn't happen all the time or else I'm not going to be able to focus or else I'm going to have to change. When they're having a lesson, I'll have to do all the preaching at the beginning. I'll have to do all the singing at the end when they're screaming and yelling, making all the noise that they are. 